Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Max Toll. On the show this week, it's the start of the Rio Olympics, but who will carry New Zealand's flag at the opening ceremony? The majority of Russian athletes will be allowed to compete at the Olympics, but will our athletes be standing next to them on the podium? We remember the unluckiest driver in Formula One history, New Zealand motorsport icon Chris Amon, Southern Steel netball coach Nolene Tauruas packed her bags for Australia, and DJ Forbes counts his lucky stars, he made it to Rio. Sailors Peter Burling and Blair Tuke have been named as co-captains of the New Zealand Olympic team in Rio. It's the first time two athletes have been named in the role, while Burling will carry the flag in the opening ceremony at the Maracana Stadium tomorrow afternoon. Our sports editor Stephen Hewson reports from Rio. Peter Burling and Blair Tuke won a silver medal in sailing's 49er class at the London Olympics and are favourites to win gold in Rio. They're also four-time world champions. They were each presented with a kakahu or Māori cloak by the Governor-General Sir Jerry Mataparai and the New Zealand team chef de mission Rob Waddell at a ceremony at the Athletes' Village. Burling says he's honoured to be selected for the role, while Tuke hopes their experience as a team will help others to perform well in Rio. Woodell acknowledges the joint appointment as a step away from Olympic tradition, but says it highlights the importance of teamwork at the Games. Burling and Tuke will lead New Zealand's largest ever Olympic team, with 199 athletes set to compete in Rio. In Rio, this is Stephen Hewson. Meanwhile, the New Zealand Olympic team is in the process of formulating a policy over what to do should a New Zealand athlete refuse to stand on the podium alongside a Russian medal winner. Former Olympic swimmer Moss Burmester suggested New Zealand medal winners should not step onto the podium alongside Russians following the International Olympic Committee's decision not to implement a blanket ban on Russia in the wake of its state-sponsored doping programme. New Zealand chef de mission Rob Waddell spoke to sports editor Stephen Hewson in Rio. I guess uh, given the, the recent nature of the comments in the last sort of 12 hours, it's something that uh, we haven't talked through in depth. I think we uh, obviously encourage people to respect all athletes and all the people that are there have been able to prove that they're clean and able to compete. So that's certainly what we would be encouraging. Disciplinary and, measures would you take against any New Zealand athlete that might do that? Uh, well, you are going into a, a, a political space, which is something that's obviously very sensitive at the Olympic Games, but just something that we would, uh, again, we haven't worked through what that process might look like right now but we're aware that obviously there's heightened awareness and tension over some of the ruling and what's happened and there's lots of different opinions out there about how people feel about it. So what's that, what's that at? <laughs> what, does it, what does that actually mean? Uh, look I think we'd actually have to work through that and go back to the athletes agreements and just see uh, you know, what each individual situation I guess so that's something that given the comment only came about 12 hours and we're still making sure all the basics in the village are working we're focused on getting the athletes here in the best shape possible and, and getting a great result we haven't talked about what they do when they win or what medals they get because that's, uh, that's something that's uh, the next stage. But um, we are very much focused on the moment, trying to prepare the athletes for the best, best thing possible. That was Rob Waddell talking to RNZ Sports Editor Stephen Hewson. You're listening to Extra Time. After 20 years of perpetual disappointment, it will be easy for Hurricanes fans to fear the worst heading into tomorrow night's Super Rugby Final. Yet it's hard to find a naysayer in sight as an immense optimism fills the capital. 
An hour into last year's final against the Highlanders, the ball was shifted wide to Hurricanes wing Julian Savier. With an ocean of space in front of him and a seven-point gap to close, he only had to cross the line. Now Perinara again. Barrett. And off it goes. Savier's lost it. Oh, and the crowd just show exactly how everybody is feeling. He was in for all money, Julian Savier. The that was Sky Sports' coverage of the crucial moment. The Canes eventually lost 21-14, an ink blot on the club's best season to date. Few predicted they'd return to the final after losing captain Conrad Smith and Ma'a Nonu to the lure of Europe. Yet Iafeta Matalasi, a devoted Hurricanes fan since the club's inception, didn't give up hope. The boys are hurting from last year. They, they, they got it now. They have sorted it. And you can hear the, the talk and everybody... They're chilling, they, they, they smile, they look after each other. And they, nobody feels separated. They, they're all together. Other fans are equally optimistic. I just believe in them, eh? yeah. and they'll get the job done. They came back firing eh, at, the, <laughs> at the end of the season. I think the Canes will have it. He thinks that yeah, it'll be a close game. I reckon they'll dominate from, from the get-go. I'm putting 20-plus on it. I always had faith in these boys. It, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if they win or lose, they are my guys. One of the breakout stars of the team season, Adi Savia, has supported the Canes since he was a child. A standout memory is the team losing the final against the Crusaders in 2006. I was played in the fog, couldn't quite see what was going on in, on TV, but yeah, to be a part of a special event and occasion is quite unreal, and um, not myself, but you know, a lot of the boys in the team are really looking forward to it. It's a super final and they've never been in one, so yeah, I'll, I'll prefer to be playing and watching. The former All Blacks and Canes hooker Norm Hewitt says he's seen something different about this group of players. They're playing for each other. There's energy in there that I don't think was totally there last year. And for whatever reason why it wasn't there, who knows. But there's just the sense of the enjoyment factor. And look, they go that extra mile every single player that comes on, every single player that starts. He can't explain why glory has taken this long to come to the capital. Yet like Iafeta Matalasi, he feels this is the year. Success brings success. They keep their feet on the ground, they keep that excitement, they keep it real. They've had a taste of finals rugby last year and I'm quietly confident that everything will go in their favour, then we'll have an outcome that's, that's you know long overdue for the Hurricanes. Wellington Stadium is sold out for tomorrow's final, which starts about 7.30. A lot of conjecture arose around the format of the new Super Rugby competition at the start of the season, but as it stands, the two best teams have made the final as Matt Chatterton found out when talking to RNZ rugby reporter Joe Porter. Joe, to start off with, do you think the two best teams are competing in this weekend's Super Rugby final? Yeah, I think that's fairly obvious with the Hurricanes qualifying top of the standings and the Lions second. That gives them the most points in the competition and, and the most wins during the year. So, of course, the two best teams will meet in this year's final. They won their two respective quarter and semi-finals to reach this point. So we are seeing the two best sides in the competition facing each other. The Lions, of course, have beaten four of the five New Zealand sides this year in Super Rugby. The Hurricanes were the team they did lose to. However, they've shown they can compete with the top New Zealand sides and deserve their spot in this final it'll be tough for them coming all the way over for, from South Africa and the Hurricanes are heavy favourites to win. Now there is a little bit of concern I guess around both captains uh, for this weekend's final with uh, Warren Whiteley and Dane Coles both under an injury cloud. Do you think that uh, not having those guys would make much of an impact and have you heard whether or not they could be playing? 
Well, it certainly will have an impact. Both those captains have been talismanic for their sides this year. Warren Whiteley, of course, is Springbok leader, and Dane Cole's the all-black hooker. So without both those players in their side, they will be you know, weakened. However, they played without them in the semi-final wins, so they've shown they can win and knock out rugby without their captains and talismanic leaders. It would be a blow for both teams, but they have shown that the backups can do the job. Dane Coles, he's still unlikely to play this weekend. I know had it been the end of the season and there was nothing following this, he'd probably just take a whole lot of painkillers and try and battle through this one. But considering the All Blacks Rugby Championship is coming up, this rib injury could take six weeks to heal. So I'm not picking him to play this weekend. However, Warren Whiteley, I know a little bit less about, so we'll see what happens there. Um, taking a look at the uh, Lions, uh, they have quite an impressive uh, sort of tally of performances this year. Taking a look at their last six games, they won by f- uh, they scored 40 points or more in those games. How do you think they're going to go up against the Hurricanes' defence, though, given the Hurricanes haven't let in a try in the last two or three matches? Yeah, it's a good good question. The Lions have scored the most tries out of any team in this competition and the Hurricanes haven't conceded a try in the last 341 minutes of rugby they've played. So certainly the best defensive team of late coming up against the best offensive team. The Hurricanes, though, have shown they can score tries too. They're up there with the leading try-scoring teams in the competition and that's probably where I, I think many people will see them winning this match, that ferocious tenacious defence they've been providing in the last few games against the Crusaders, against the Chiefs again, who are good sides who can score tries. The Hurricanes have been brutal at that breakdown area and have not leaked a single try in, like I said, 341 minutes of rugby. So I believe that's where the Hurricanes will have the edge this weekend and that's what will get them over the line, defence. You're listening to Extra Time. Tributes have been pouring in from the world of international motorsport for Chris Amon who died this week in Rotorua Hospital at the age of 73. The Ferrari team said it was mourning its star driver of the 1960s, and young New Zealand GP2 driver Mitch Evans called him an inspiration. Commentator and former driver Martin Brundle called him a lovely man, approachable, humble and a class act. Former racing driver Mario Andretti also paid tribute, saying he was saddened by the passing of his friend, who was truly one of the good guys, admired and respected by all. Chris Amon's greatest triumph was winning the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1966 alongside Bruce McLaren. Motorsport magazine called Amon one of the greatest Grand Prix drivers ever and said in the period 1968 to 1972, only triple champion Jackie Stewart produced a comparable number of virtuoso performances. Morning Report Susie Ferguson spoke to Sir Jackie Stewart shortly after the news of Chris Amon's death broke. Very sad indeed. Uh... Chris was one of the real gentlemen of the sport. Um, He was a great friend. I spent a lot of time together because we were both living in Switzerland for quite a few years. One of the nicest, cleanest drivers you could ever have met uh, on a racetrack. He just was uh, impeccable manners. He was very quick. It's amazing to me um, that he didn't win quite a few World Championship Grand Prix victories. He was awfully good in sports cars, as we know, by winning Le Mans, and that's a great victory. And he and Bruce McLaren, of course, were great friends, and we spent a lot of time together all those years ago. But I think, Chris, we raced together an awful lot, and he was one of the really clean race drivers. There was no nonsense with him. And he, as I say, he was very quick. And you clearly rated him really highly, and rating him really highly at a pretty dangerous time for the sport. Yes, he he, 
the sport today could learn a lot from Chris Amon, uh, the manner in which he conducted himself. Um, he was a party boy. He had a good time. There's no doubt about that. But as a racing driver, I would say he was one of the best that I ever raced against. Um, and, of course, when we came over to the Tasman in the 60s, um, we spent a lot of time together. We went to Paraparam, where his parents had a, a nice cottage beside the, the sea. Uh, we had parties there. We we had a lot of very good times together. And uh, I really was shocked and terribly sad that he, you know, I got the news just about an hour ago that Chris had passed away. So what was he like? How will you most vividly remember him? As being a quiet, unobtrusive, modest, but very clean, meaning that he was never reckless on the track, he was never balking anybody on the track or doing any, what I would call, hard overtaking manoeuvres. He just was the gentleman, but he drove in such a smooth and stylish way. Uh, I always looked at him as the kind of Jim Clark driving style rather than somebody more aggressive. And as a friend, he was a great friend. And uh, he he really lived a very enjoyable life. And I'm sorry that he didn't get more success as a racing driver. If he had driven for one or two other teams than those he drove for, he would have won quite a few Grand Prix. The Bruce McLaren and Chris Amon period in Formula One did a lot for New Zealand's uh, prestige around the world because both of them conducted themselves in such with such good manners and, and style. Uh, and Chris, of course, continued after you know, Bruce died. So really, I'm so sad. I mean, New Zealand should be very proud of Chris Amon. Was it a regret or was it any kind of loss to him that the wins perhaps eluded him as much as they did? It must have frustrated him, uh, but it didn't show. You know, he just shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, well, you know, it was bad luck or bad situation mechanically or the car failed or whatever else. But he was never a moaner. Uh, You didn't hear him moaning about it. He just continued his life as a Grand Prix driver and uh, as a sports car driver. He, he, He just was very versatile. We won together the 1,000 kilometres at Brands Hatch in 1967. I drove for Ferrari. He was the works driver at the time, and they asked me to come in and drive with him. And we won the world championship for Ferrari. We didn't win the race. We finished second. And um, that was one of the highlights for me, to be driving with Chris, same car, same race. We beat all of the Porsches to secure the world championship at that very race. So uh, that was a big moment for both of us. It's a pretty lifetime sort of length of friendship you've had. When was the last time that you you had contact with him, that you saw him or spoke to him? I phoned him on the... I I was on the phone to him not that long ago. I think it might have been within the last 12 months. uh, And I saw him at Goodwood briefly a couple of years ago. But I said, you know, you need to come over more often. Um, But he wasn't in great health then, actually. I haven't been to New Zealand now for quite a long time. If I had been in New Zealand, the first person I would have gone to see was Chris Amon. You sound really fond of him. Yeah, 
No, he was a great friend. There was a great, uh, it was a great period of time. And Formula One at that time was a terrific community. We travelled together. We were more or less always in the same hotels. We, uh, we did the same races. Uh, it was a fantastic community with a very deep relationship with all of us because so many people were being killed at that time. It was a turbulent period in Formula One, and I think it brought us all a lot closer together than than the current uh, generation of of Grand Prix drivers. You've lost a good man. That was Sir Jackie Stewart speaking to Susie Ferguson. Southern Steel netball coach Nolene Taurua dropped a bombshell on New Zealand netball this week when she announced she's joining the new Australian domestic competition next year with the new Sunshine Coast netball franchise. The Sunshine Coast is the team being backed by NRL giant the Melbourne Storm and the University of the Sunshine Coast. The loss of New Zealand's most successful ANZ Championship coach, who was overlooked last year for the Silver Ferns job, will be a big blow to netball administrators here as they try to launch their own domestic league. However, Taurua told Bridget Tunnicliffe her decision wasn't a case of getting one over Netball New Zealand. There's a lot of opportunities that's happening at the moment, not only from a player point of view but also coaching. But um, I actually wasn't able to go into that realm until after I finished with Southern Steel and the campaign. Um, and obviously with us losing um, against Firebirds last week, that opened up uh, my thinking into uh, my career. Um, also the conversations as to what's best uh, moving forward for the Southern Steel franchise um, and also my family. So, you know, there was a lot of things that I had to work through in a very short um, time frame. Um, but once again, making sure uh, that I didn't hang people out and I made a decision. So, hence my appointment now. Was it difficult to leave the steel and in turn New Zealand? Oh, definitely. I think um, the opportunities that steel have given me um, in a very short, just over the year, and I have been embraced by the community and also the players, um, and I'm actually very fond of the place and, and the people involved in this franchise. That was huge for me, um, not wanting to leave them in the lurch um, and ensuring once again that there's a clear process or step from if I did decide to leave. Um, I think the fantastic thing is the Southern Steel franchise is so strong um, and I think we've built a really good, um, out of having a good year in regards to performance, that uh, we've got a great base um, and good people involved um, who are ready to take that next step up. Um, From a New Zealand point of view, I think it also um, was about me growing and developing as a player. Uh, and I needed to be able to do that, and the opportunity arised with um, Sunshine Coast and the ability to go into an Australian conference where you're actually very accountable for what you do, um, and the level of performance is definitely high. So that's going to challenge me as a coach, and I'm ready to take that next step. Since you missed out on the Ferns job, has Netball New Zealand been in contact? Have they sort of encouraged you to keep going? Have they indicated that your time will come? Anything like that? Um, Not necessarily that my time will come. Um, There's no communication in regards to that. Um, But, uh, you know, I have um, fortunately a lot of players in the Southern Steel, you know, who have made the New Zealand team or the trials. Um, So there's always that communication in regards to ensuring that the relationship is strong between franchise and Netball New Zealand. Um, But in regards to my own coaching development or growth, um, there's nothing there or nothing has been um, discussed at all.
do you think that's a bit poor? Oh, I think, you know, um, there's always been an opening, and let's put it this way, um, from Netball New Zealand. Um, that discussions can be had and I think, you know, myself I have to actually take that step in there but, um, you know, I've, I've got my Masters, I've been around New Zealand for a very long time in the ANZ for a very long time so I'm looking for ventures that's going to develop and grow me um, and um yeah, and, and really that's what it's all about. I think it's a two-way process, basically, and, you know, both parties have to walk towards the, walk towards the same door. The money and package that Melbourne have been able to give you, is it more than what you've ever had a, as a coach of a New Zealand side? And if so, is it significantly more? Oh, you know what? It's actually comparable to what we um, provide in New Zealand. Um, and that's quite, you know, that's an interesting concept in itself because, you know, you would think with this new structure over in Australia and, you know, what's been touted around that it's very comparable between the two countries. Um, when you think about, I suppose, a career, it's not only about the financials, but it's also about the support. And once again, that growth and development that you're going to get as an individual. Um, and for me, um, with Melbourne Storm as the backers and knowing that the, uh, one of the best, if not the best, sporting organisation in regards to NRL, um, to learn from them and to be in their system is, as a netball coach, is just takes me automatically up another level. And um, I just think, you know, opportunities come around that's going to do that in, at a time where you have to actually decide and the timing is right for me to, to step up, basically. And finally, the New Zealand Sevens player DJ Forbes says he's grateful just to be in Rio after teammate Teddy Sanaray was ruled out of the Olympics with a hand injury less than a week before the start of the Sevens competition. Forbes gave up the captaincy to focus on his fitness and fight for a spot at the Games. And he spoke to Barry Guy in Rio about what it means to be representing New Zealand at the Olympics and the extra pressure that comes with it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're being honest, just you know, the whole environment I set up, um, and obviously we know the pressure that comes with um, any pinnacle sport any pinnacle event and obviously Olympics being the biggest stage you know there's going to be that there but um, I think everyone knows in New Zealand you know, when, you're, when you're playing a bit of footy everyone expects you to do well especially when you're in that, that silver fern so as far as what concerned we have pretty high standards and you know uh, might be coming here under the radar you know not being the favourites but you know definitely um, you know, everyone's doing their bit to give us the best chance at gold. Personally what a year ago you know, you changed a few things, you know, you relinquished the captaincy that, to get yourself fit, you know, is it, how's that last year been for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been awesome. I've obviously uh, had keyhole surgery at the beginning of the year um, to fix a pretty old knee, um, and, and that was, that everything went to plan. Um, played some good footy, um, and so got sent home to have a rest after Hong Kong. Um, but in, in that little rest time, um, I think my whole body's just... Uh, you know, uh, just always training, so somehow I managed to pick up a little calf niggle in that rest, but besides all that, um, everything went to plan, had a PB on the beat test, um, you know, the body's really fresh, and I'm, you know, I'm still keen to play footy, and if anyone's followed me, you know, they've seen that I've, uh, or NZRU have asked me to sign up for another year, so, and I, you know, I was pretty happy to do that, so um, first things first, just to get through the Olympics, and then uh, who knows. It, it is a bit fickle in a way, because, you know, Teddy Stanaway uh, injured, that sort of thing. I mean, it sounds as though you're just hoping, you know, to get not get through, but just to make sure you get there, sort of thing. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation, especially for a rugby because it's such a physical game. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Um, 
I think I was fortunate enough to um, you know, play in the middle of the season, play some big tournaments and, and managed to um, you know, show my wares to Titch. Obviously missed those last two and then we had Charles um, where you know, everyone had to put their hand up. Like you said about Tilly, that was unfortunate um, and you know, uh, I guess it's the nature of the beast. You know, Titch is a hard coach and um, us playing the United States a week out from you know, the Olympics was you know, a bit core, cool, but you know, we had to make sure that everyone was up for it and then, an you know, injury like that to Teddy was really unfortunate, but I guess opens the door for Lewis as well. So after the end of the World Series, I mean, the time you had together, I suppose the last month, how how are you feeling? Has that brought it together, you know? Yeah, I think that was the key for us. Um, if anyone was in our environment, you would have known that um, there was a lot of edge about trying to make, you know, those the, the Olympic team. So that, that's probably been the difference, you know, guys knowing that there's only 12 spots in throughout the season although we're playing for the World Series we're still playing for potentially 12 spots so once the team was named that was probably the key for us to really sort of um, get rid of all that and start, start a new start with the new 12 the new 14 the traveling the two traveling reserves and, and just really fine-tune um, you know get everyone on the same page and, and get that real team bond going and I think we've done that and we know still got a little bit more time as well but it seems really excited and we'll come together really well that was DJ Forbes talking to Barry Guy That's extra time for this week. Feedback is always welcome via Twitter at RNZ Sport or through our email sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Max Toll. Farewell for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.